You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. All right, Jay, we're continuing on with our theme of really deconstructing our portfolios and just kind of laying it all out there. Um, Yeah, can't get enough. (laughs) We've had so many discussions about asset allocation that I started looking at my own portfolio with a different set of eyes and I thought, eh, am I really doing the right thing here? Um, And so all of these discussions led me to really make kind of a major decision with our portfolio. And I say major just because I had nothing but equities in the portfolio before and now I don't. Um, And I just just made that decision recently. So kind of wanted to use this as a chance to talk through the whole decision making process around you know, reallocating the portfolio and why we did it, everything associated with it, because I'm going to be honest, it was not easy. (laughs) Right. And I'm still not convinced I did the right thing. Anyone who's watched previous episodes knows that we have talked about your uh, approach, which I, uh, I guess in my head uh, was definitely thinking of it's like a to the moon type (laughs) strategy. And you sure have capitalized on the last 12 years of this uh, bull run, and that's awesome uh, that you have. But uh, of course, as you started approaching your target date, which is right at the bottom of the screen at the start of all these episodes, it's natural to start thinking about the other aspects of your portfolio. And I'm not at all surprised that asset allocation was the thing, You know, just talking about that repeatedly was the thing that drove <laughs> you to that. I am happy that it did. Uh, not saying you need to be as, you know, have the same risk tolerance as I do, but uh, certainly, I, I care a lot about your portfolio success. So the, I am definitely looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> that is basically the place that we need to start, I think, is talking about risk. And there are many different risks associated with the fire path um, and also determining a, an allocation, an asset allocation. And I guess I had always seen myself as a very risk tolerant person. I am perfectly comfortable yeah. watching a portfolio go down by 50%. And, you know, I don't like that. Uh, But for all the time I've been investing, when that's happened, I've just ignored and kept kept on buying. And it's it's easy, you know, from your side of FI, I bet it looks much different than my side of FI. Yeah, Uh, it sure does, right? When you're (laughs) accumulating, you're looking at market drops as buying opportunities. Right. Um, Not saying you should do crazy things when the market drops and sell off all your assets to put more in the market. But hey, buying that dollar cost averaging that you do, whatever your regular investment strategy is, you get to take advantage of those downturns. But you are right to wonder what it's like on the other side of five, because by the way, when we had the first very sharp COVID downturn, yeah, um, it gave me pause, right. shall we say? And you were you were on the verge of entering RE there, right? Correct. <laughs> yeah, you had hit. I had, your... I had achieved Phi, yep. but I had not yet pulled the trigger on leaving my place of work. But I was very close to it. It was the end was in sight. I'm fond of saying, you know, if you have a a good and I've totally stolen this quote from somebody else, by the way, you know, if you have a good plan before something bad happens, you still have a good plan after it happens. (laughs) But I'm still human. 
and you know, not a machine. So yes, I start thinking about the plan as soon as that downturn happened and wondered, well, am I, am I well protected enough? Let me redo that calculation about how right. much cash I'm going to have and right. do, what's my fixed income look like. Yeah, for sure that happened. So if I, if I project myself forward to a position like that, um, and, and part of this, um, really refocusing on the asset allocation, is a result of seeing how close I am to reaching that number and just doing all the calculations. If I put myself in that position, um, you know, right, if I were right on the cusp of reaching my fine number and I had a major downtick and my portfolio was 100% stocks like it used to be, that has a, has a different set of risks. Um, it, and that's, you know, delaying retirement essentially. Um, that's right. And we don't yeah. talk about that very often, right? The, this idea about that is a, that's a real risk too. Um. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, just, you know, you and I have, you know, partaken in the fire community online for a number of years now, and we know how much sequence of return risk comes up, right? That right. what hap what could happen to your portfolio in a downturn after you start withdrawing from your portfolio, right? That rightfully gets a lot of traffic, but what doesn't is what you just said, and that's that retirement date risk. I have a date in mind that I wanna be done with this thing. I wanna pull the trigger on retiring from my you know, primary career. And oh, by the way, the market drops substantially and I'm not prepared to absorb that, and now my date has to change. Right. Now, that's, it sounded to me like that was kind of a non-negotiable thing for you, is that right? Are you, you, you pretty set on your own trajectory? I mean, it really, the closer that I get to this number, the more it feels like a fixed point. It do, doesn't yeah. have to be. No. no. And one of the, so as part of this reevaluating my asset allocation, I, I went to pretty well-known site online and basically posted all of my, all the details of my information anonymously, of course. Uh, but it's, it was a pretty thorough airing of everything that I have. And I did this because I wanted some feedback on a couple of things um, and actually got feedback on a lot more things than, than I was anticipating. Um, you know, but, but I did this just, just trying to get down some of the mechanics of, okay, if I wanted to change this allocation or I wanted to do this or that, you know, you know, what should I do here? Right. And I was in a way not, and this isn't to discount all the discussions you and I have had, but in a way I was looking to outsource some of the decision-making and kind of get some contrarian opinions. Um, yeah. And the site I went to was a pretty conservative site. So I expected that the information that I was posting and the general theme of fire, you know, it's not always looked on kindly. No. <laughs> um, and, and that's like, that's actually perfect. That's actually what I wanted because I wanted to get, I feel like I have a pretty extreme view of that situation. Um, and this forum obviously has a, a different view and, a lot of the feedback that I got was, hey, what you're posting here with this hard and fast date of 2024, that's a pretty inflexible position. And right. in general, inflexible positions um, tend to yield very difficult situations to manage. And so it's, you know, I'll say the date feels fixed to me, but part of this reevaluation process has made me think, differently about that. Maybe, maybe treat it a little differently, or maybe there's some in between, like maybe I can really dial the risk way back on the portfolio and keep that hard and fast state. 
Yeah, I really like that you posted there because it's very easy to get kind of stuck in this group think. And as much yeah. as you and I like a variety of subreddits that we've discussed on this show, there's some group think. And I, even just today, I was looking at, you know, what's the latest guidance and uh, thoughts on, you know, bonds and their role in a retirement oh. portfolio for someone in the fire community. And, you were looking you on know, Reddit? Yeah, of course. Oh, right? geez. So you, you find the opposite perspective, right? There's yeah. a small minority of people who are like, yeah, bond tents are a good idea. And, you know, here's how you do it. Other people are like, nope, bonds are worthless. Staying 100 percent. It's kind of right. correct. Don't really worry about it. Just, you know, blinders are on. And somewhere in between the extremes of those different communities, plus your own sort of, you know, personality and your your specific assets is is where like perfection will lie so right. i like that you're gathering you know the gathering information from multiple camps and i'm really curious to hear what kind of feedback you got well i mean it, it, it's so true like the confirmation bias like if you want to find confirmation of oh, yeah. your plan you can find it you know in the extreme on the internet whether that's Vogelheads yeah. or it's reddit you know as we build into the are toward FI, right? We're working toward FI. We're on the path. We have a plan. The plan for most of your FI journey is is pretty easy, <laughs> right? Yeah. High savings rate. You want to invest in some low cost index funds. I mean, this is that's the kind of template, right? And yeah. just stick to your plan. I'm basically three years out, a little bit less than three years out. And so that really is a pretty big transition point where you start needing a different plan. So what I did was, I created this post. I basically said, here's what I'm bringing in. Here's what I'm saving every year. These are my accounts. These are the funds I have access to. My asset allocation currently, like when I made the post, was 100% equities. And I said, I know that's not a smart strategy uh, because I'm basically three years out from FI. So I want to adjust it to a more reasonable asset allocation of 85 15 um, which, <laughs> I mean, we can 15 talk 15 bonds, 85 equities. That's right. Yeah. And, um, and then I just was asking for some information on the mechanics of actually rebalancing, you know? So I was looking for kind of some subtle details on it. And then also like based on the funds that I have access to bond funds in particular, fixed income assets, because they're in, you know, pre-tax accounts and things like that. Um, what do you think? Cause they weren't, it's not like I have, you know, I can just go and choose whatever I want in all right. of my retirement accounts. It has to be based on what the employer is providing for my wife and these various other things that we have. Um, and then I had some other questions about Roth conversions and things like that. So like those are tangential to this conversation because really okay. the feedback that I started getting was, well, based on what I mean, the number one piece of feedback was like, whoa, way too risky. <laughs> so it's yeah. not just me is what yeah, you're Right. Exactly. Basically you're insane, um, for having oh. an asset allocation that high. It's, it's way too risky. And the, the thing that I didn't, that I failed to realize here was, um, the risk that I was taking was not worth the reward that I was seeking to get. All I was programmed to think about was I want as high an equity, you know, allocation as possible so that I can maximize returns, maximize yeah, returns, good. right? And someone pointed out to me that obviously, uh, the amount of money that I was saving between now and then my annual contributions was going to get me to my five number with or without any returns in the stock market. And I, it's so silly 
that I couldn't see that. But the person who pointed this out basically said, you know, most people don't realize that the majority of your wealth building capacity is driven by your savings rate. And I think that the percentage they used was some, somewhere upwards of 70% of that. Your success is determined by that savings rate. And mm -hmm. of course, it's like, if I look, I look at those numbers, I'm like, well, geez, I don't have to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, all I need to do is maintain that savings rate based on that income level. And I've, I've got it. So why don't, I mean, I should be hundred percent bonds, you know, like hundred percent safe. Um, and in fact, some people suggested some pretty ridiculous things about how they thought I should allocate and pretty low percentages of, of stocks, which doesn't really work for a fire portfolio. I think. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And if you, did you disclose your age as well? Because yeah. to me, that's obvious, right? You, you don't want to outlive your money. That's so you're right. You're going to need that engine from the stock to keep, keep things going. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, I guess people can fill in the blanks as to how long that portfolio needs to last, but it's at least 40 years. And like you, you're, you're planning on a 50 year retirement. Um, I Man, don't think worst, I, worst case I won't die. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then I talked about my withdrawal, my proposed withdrawal rate being three and a half percent based on, you know, the portfolio. And, you know, of course I got feedback on that way too low. I got a bunch of feedback that said, you should keep working based on what you're earning every year. Um, you need 10 years of expenses plus three years of cash. That, that was one of the comments that I yeah. got back. And, you know, I don't expect to take all the advice, obviously, but it made me really rethink the decision to go 100% equities. And, and one of the comments that came back just basically referred me to Vanguard's sort of historical performance of different portfolio allocations. Have you seen this? Yeah, I have. And it's really telling. So 100% equity portfolio returns something like 10.3% versus an 80-20 portfolio, which returns 9.8%. And a 70-30 portfolio returns 9.4%. And if you look at total return on those different portfolios versus the risk that you're taking, I mean, I could, I, it's much easier to live with a portfolio that's like 70-30 than it is to live with one that's 100% equities. And there's a reason right. why you, consulting with financial advisors, have a diversified portfolio, right? Yep. What is Absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that, to me, mit, risk mitigation is an important part of the yeah. puzzle. Yeah. And yes, that risk tolerance versus risk capacity, it's always there. But I'm not the most conservative person on the planet, but I also want to make sure that I'm diverse enough to capture the mix of upside potential benefit and, and mitigate downside risk. So, I mean, that's, that's why it is that way. And There's also a shortfall risk if you go too far in the other direction. So if you change your allocation to be too heavy on the bond side, you may not have that sustaining engine that's going to drive the portfolio in, into a long retirement, which is a special concern for people in the fire community. So, I'm kind of weighing that in this whole decision process. Like, well, I don't want to go too low. Like 85% felt low to me, but then everyone's like, no, 60, 40. Like you should just go 60, 40. Um, so I'm thinking about that. And then at a certain point, I think I said this to you, I was like, 
I might as well just go all cash, man. <laughs> just like, <laughs> you did say like, that to me. Why do I even want to be in bonds? Um, because part of this process is thinking about okay, if I'm going to diversify the portfolio beyond stocks, uh, what am I going to choose? I mean, I'm not going to go out and buy individual bonds. I feel wholly unqualified to make a decision about shopping around on the bond market. It just feels so crazy. But just to go to cash, that raises the other risk in this whole right. equation, which inflation is risk. inflation risk. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Unless you, unless you have a mountain sized you know, pile of cash, <laughs> I don't. That you're willing to watch, you know, lose value with inflation and cash, not the answer either. Yeah. So, I mean, I suspect your journey took you looking at all different instruments and I bonds are very popular now. And some of these other things, what, what did that look like? Yeah. So, well, I want to get to that, but I, but I also okay. do want to kind of back into this Okay. Overarching theme. The thing that matters most here is the savings rate and like maximizing the savings rate is that's, that's the first level of decision-making. So before you even choose the asset allocation, you have to determine what that is. That's the thing that has, it's going to have the biggest impact on your ability to, to grow your, your wealth over time. So I started looking at this and this is after tax net this year, it's been about 73%. Um, and it's, we saved a wow. little more than that, uh, for kids college and everything. And I feel like that is just, that's like, right. That's right there. That's, I don't know how it's we super high. can save more than that. Uh, do you, do you remember what you were saving in, in your sort of mid to late term of reaching Phi? It was not 73%. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was certainly lower than that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a mix over time. But, you know, as my sort of compensation went to a certain level, I was able to save more sure. and put any sort of uh, unusual compensation like bonus compensation 100 percent into my portfolio. So it varied quite a bit. Yeah, there there's a great post on Go Curry Cracker about this, and it shows just the change in savings rate and what that does to your your five timeline. It's really actually fascinating graph. Um, yeah. and, and he also compares that to just changing your allocations between stock hundred percent stock portfolio. I mean, he's, he was for a while, I think he's seven years into retirement, something like eight years into yeah, retirement. Sounds about right. Um, but super heavy on the stock train for a very long time and has since kind of dialed back to, um, a less aggressive allocation. Um, but I'll, I'll link that post up too in, in the notes. Part of this transition, zone that I'm in. Um, you started helping me thinking about drawdown strategy and asset location. And right. you can't just think about your asset allocation, you know, your asset classes, if you want to call it that, um, without also thinking about where you're going to put them. Um, right. Because for example, you are talking about retiring at around 50, right. which means that you have nine and a half years to cover in some fashion before you can sensibly access your um, retirement type accounts, your 401ks, 403bs, et cetera, right? It's that, and it's also, if you, like me, you have a heavy stock position, right? 100% stocks. You have a taxable brokerage, mm -hmm. and you have a you know tax-deferred uh, series of accounts, which are generally the retirement right. accounts, right? It's easy to move money in the tax-deferred accounts without you know, incurring any tax ramifications. That's right. But anytime you're in a taxable account, you want to change allocation and you're all stocks. It's very difficult to unwind 
a mistake that you are potentially making like years prior. It is not just about reallocating and rebalancing here. It's also about thinking, what is the larger plan that I'm operating under? And that larger plan has to encompass not just the next three years, you know, as I transition into Phi, hopefully, but it's got to be the next 10 years, yeah. the next 15 years, like, like to your point, 59 and a half. Okay. I don't have access to a large chunk of these funds until that point. Um, you know, currently our, um, the location of our funds right now is about 30% in taxable and 70% of it is in tax deferred. Um, and so I don't have any HSA accounts. I don't have any Roth accounts. I was not fortunate enough to build those assets. I expect to start building those when I enter retirement, but you know, just the general breakdown is 30, 70 between taxable and tax deferred. So adding to the complexity of the decision is figuring out, okay, it's not enough just to buy bonds, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, it's also where, you know, trade some stocks for bonds, but it's also where to put them. Right. So if, if I can, I, I think what you're talking about, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is you're saying that in the, when you talk about mistakes that can be made and unwinding decisions that, you know, things like embedded gains yes. in the stocks in your brokerage account to exchange those will have tax ramifications. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, okay. and it's, I mean, if you are someone who is earning a high income you're getting close to FI, you know, those decisions, if, if you're trying to unwind these positions while you're earning a high income, it's a, it's a very heavy tax hit, right? Right, right. <laughs> so let's just say, for example, I want to take my 100% portfolio and turn it into an 80-20, but I want the 80-20 to be in both that fractional representation to be in both my taxable account and my tax deferred account. Easy to do in the tax deferred just sell off yep. my stocks, buy the bonds that I want or buy whatever fixed income assets I want. Good to go. In the taxable, I have to take a tax hit. Taking the tax hit would just be a long-term capital gain. That's right. At whatever. Which depending on your income level. That's right. Could be zero. What is it? Zero, 15 or 20%, right? That's right. Yeah. How do you position assets in an accessible way say during a downturn that, you know, if your stocks are taking a hit, you don't want to be selling stocks when they're low, right? You Correct. want to have options for other things to sell. And that's the, that was kind of the moment of crystallization for me. Like, okay, in a drawdown, I really do need these. It doesn't matter that I may be risk, you know, tolerant enough to see the portfolio right. cut in half, but it's a reality that if I run out of cash, let's say I'm building an 18 month cash buffer, right? And on a downturn could definitely last more than 18 months. <laughs> right. You need something else to sell. Right. Yeah. And, and it's got to be in a place that, you know, I can easily access without um, huge tax ramifications. So, I, you know, I definitely in taxable, I don't want to be selling stocks when they're way down. So, no, is that right? And, and, you know, for, especially for anybody who's sort of newer to this, basically, if you sell stocks when stocks are high, right versus when you sell them low in the latter case you have to sell more shares of a stock or more shares in a mutual fund for the same amount of dollars and so that's why you wouldn't want to sell stocks ever when they're down if you can help it optionality in this show it's just been a you know recurring theme so yeah absolutely it it definitely made me realize okay i'm not i i don't have enough options here i'm curious about 
how this you're starting to develop a strategy here. And I was wondering what kinds of sources you considered, you know, so for, for me, obviously I'm working with financial advisors, but in essence, one of the sort of closest representations of what I do um, is kind of a flavor on the three bucket strategy, right? And, and in the, the taxable bucket, um, I have a you know position in bonds, you know primarily municipal bonds that I'm able to access uh, if I need to sell bonds, for example. But are there specific approaches you were looking at and, and what did you consider versus what did you elect to go with? I'm curious about what that process looked like for you. Yeah, so I looked at your portfolio, quite honestly. I mean, you, you've been great in sharing with me how you have things divided up. And you know I used that as inspiration, but I also said, it, that feels complex enough to me that I can't replicate that. I, I don't feel like I would be able to manage that long-term, which is, um, and maybe I'll trend more toward complexity, but at this point I would basically look no at, reason to. yeah, I looked at the kind of Boglehead three fund portfolio and I just said, which is, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, it's, it's a, you know, equity allocation that is divided between U.S., the total U.S. stock market and an international uh, stock market, uh, total U international stock market, and then uh, a bond allocation, basically. So those are right. the three parts of the pie. And you sort of choose how to divide them up. Uh, I defaulted to a 70-30 allocation. So and that means basically 70% of the entire Phi number was going to be dedicated towards stocks. And then of that, I was going to, you know, allocate a portion of that to international funds. So right now I'm targeting 10% of that number as being international. I don't know, may go a little higher, uh, just based on how I'm feeling. Um, and then 30% of that would be toward fixed income assets. And that includes cash. So there'd be, you know, 25% bonds and probably 5% cash, which would, you know, be the 5% cash would be 18 months worth of expenses. Um, that's kind of how okay. I'm looking at it. But like you said, within that <laughs> range of choice here, so I'm looking at index funds in general. Yeah. Um, you know, let's just, if I think about them as being ETFs, it would be VTI, which is the VTSAX equivalent. Okay. Total stock market fund. There's VXUS. So that's the international fund. And then a fund like BND, which would be a total bond market fund. Um, right. and that's us bond market. It's not international. Um, and it, it, you know, I guess the equivalent to that would be VBTLX if, yep. as a v Vanguard fund. Um, yeah. And c can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Did you think about the a potential role for you know REITs or other alternatives in that mix, or is that a kind of a future thought? And right now your aim is simplicity. Like, help me understand how you thought about that. I thought about the alternatives, and I, I, I like it's enticing to me. <laughs> I looked at some of the the market neutral fund information you sent me, and it's interesting to me. And yet, I I, I also feel like I don't know enough about it to be. Uh, an informed consumer. Uh, like, I don't know how I would use that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, you made, uh, do you know, I mean, you have financial advisors who are sitting at, you know, your wingmen there, but um, how would you use, uh, you know, a sort of alternative? Sure. Well, I think some of those alternative funds are meant to sort of occupy a, a happy place between pure equities and pure bonds. Yeah. Some of them, like the one you mentioned, are more of a derivative type of instrument where they may even have 
two different strategies at work in that specific fund. And that's, of course, that's an actively managed fund. We're not talking about a passive indexed fund here. So that's a little different thing. And that will come at an, a higher expense ratio, which some people will be very averse to. And that's a personal decision, right? Like everything in this episode, there's not just one way to do these things. It is a way to hedge against multiple types of um, risk. So for example, right. it might hedge against both interest rate risk and market volatility risk using multiple strategies. And so that specific fund you asked about, that market neutral fund, um, is more about having something that exists in your brokerage account that you could elect to sell if indeed it didn't make sense to sell either bonds or stocks in something that is less correlated to each of those things. Right. You're like, your term for it was like risk off, right? You're, you're trying to develop a, a portfolio where the risks are sort of, they're uncorrelated. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it's also true that, you know, people who are sort of paid to be financial advisors, which is neither of us <laughs> do think about the world in terms of a, a risk on and risk off perspective, um, you know, and having a balance of that, which is based on an individual's risk tolerance and risk capacity. Yeah. Okay. I mean, to answer your question about REITs, it's, you know, REITs are a part of ETI. They're 4%. And I know you have more REITs uh, in your portfolio than I do. But here again, it's like, it's kind of good enough for me. Like if yeah, I, if sure. I had a strong, no judgment here. Yeah. If I had a strong reason or expertise, maybe, which would tell me to do more than 4%, I'd probably say yes. But um, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that your portfolio is, you know, I'm sure your portfolio is going to perform better than mine in the long run. So total Maybe. return is going to be Hopefully. higher. <laughs> but some of this, it just felt so overwhelming <laughs> at a certain it does. point. And I wanted to kind of share the responsibility. So of course, I was asking you, I put this out to the forums, you know, trying to get multiple opinions there. I'm asking my wife, uh, Laura. Yeah, curious to hear about that and how, how those conversations went. Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com.